0: Have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. So, the Jewish people have escaped slavery in Egypt. They have wandered the desert now for 40 years. And our story today occurs when they are right on the cusp of finally entering into the Promised Land. As Moses and God's people get closer to the shores of the Jordan River, they must pass through at times and at times conquer the kings and lands and peoples associated with other pagan tribes and religions. Now, these people who stand in the way of Israel's inheritance aren't going to just lay down their swords, kind of like the people of Winterfell, right? Now, in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 22, we find Moses and the people within striking distance of Jericho, but another unwilling king stands in their way. King Balak was king over Moab. Balak had seen what Israel had done to the Amorites and the Edomites and all the other ites. As they marched towards the promised land. And Balak was understandably scared. Now King Balak did what any good pagan king would do. He called for the best witch doctor money could buy. Someone who could cast a spell upon the Jewish army. And deliver Moses and the people into the hands of the Moabites. The best known oracle in the area at that time was a man named Balaam. And Balaam was a successful prophet for hire. And he was multilingual in that when it came to the various gods that people worshipped, he could work across all of those gods. He knew how to play this game. He was a man ready and willing to earn a buck if you had a problem to solve, and especially if you needed a magician to solve it no matter which God or religion you followed. So we're going to pick up in Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. He said to them, stay here tonight and I will bring back word to you just as the Lord speaks to me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, has sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt and has spread over the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not Curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the officials of Balak, Go to your own land, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the officials of Moab rose and went to Balak and said to him, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now, um, there's a couple things worth mentioning here. First, this versatile and otherwise unscrupulous prophet for hire, he seems to be doing the right thing. Perhaps surprisingly to us, Balaam actually prays to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jewish people. As I mentioned, Balaam was well-versed in the many gods that people worshipped in that region. And no doubt he had heard something about this God of the Israelites, Now, given that Balaam was being asked to issue a curse upon Israel, he wisely summons Yahweh to give him counsel, and the Lord maybe surprisingly answers him. And second, Balaam seems to obey the Lord's instructions and submits to God's command that he not curse the Jews. So far, so good, it seems. But Balak and the Moabites were scared to death. And they really wanted Balaam's help. So Balak sends even more dignitaries and even more money to Balaam to ask that he do what he wishes, and that is to curse Israel. And this time, Balaam's greed gets the best of him. He goes back to Yahweh, and he presses God. He wants to go. You see, Balaam's heart isn't really interested in obeying God's first command to not curse the people of Israel. Rather, Balaam is enticed by the treasures that Balak is offering. And so he asks God to reconsider. Sometimes, friends, you have to be careful what you ask for. This time, God allows Balaam to travel to Moab and to meet, finally meet, King Balak. But with one condition. Balaam must do and say all that Yahweh commands. But we're told in Scripture that God was angry. God was angry with Balaam and his heart. And although it looks like Balaam is doing and saying the right things, God is not happy. And God leads Balaam straight into his own destruction. So we're going to pick up again here, Numbers chapter 22, verses 20 through 22. That night, God came to Balaam. This is after Balaam asked God to reconsider his decision. And he said to him, If the men have come to summon you, get up and go with them. This is God speaking, but do only what I tell you to do. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his trusty donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. God's anger was kindled because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now, friends, what occurs next is one of the strangest stories in all of the Bible. (laughs) Remember, God is not pleased with Balaam, and God is certainly not going to allow Balaam to curse Israel. So God's angel is sent to stand in the road to block Balaam from going to Moab as he had agreed to do. Balaam doesn't see the angel in the road but guess who does? The donkey. And the donkey gets spooked and won't go any farther despite Balaam's prodding. Now, uh, Rembrandt, the great artist, actually painted a picture of this scene. There you see the angel of the Lord. You see Balaam on his trusty steed. The donkey is saying, I'm not going anywhere with that angel in front. Now, donkeys are stubborn animals. We know this, So in Balaam's mind, the donkey is just being, well, an ass. So so Balaam, Balaam proceeds to beat the donkey, beat him harshly into submission. And here's the strange part. The donkey gets fed up with the beating and looks at Balaam and starts talking to him. The donkey says this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. What have I done to you? To deserve this beating. Haven't I been your loyal steed for many years? What's going on? Maybe you should pay attention to what's in front of you. At that point, Balaam's eyes are opened and he notices the angel standing in the road. The angel admonishes him, but eventually allows Balaam to proceed on his way. But he reminds Balaam, you must do all that the Lord commands. So Balaam finally reaches King Balak. Balak instructs Balaam to place a curse upon Moses and the people of Israel. And after making a burnt offering, that's exactly what Balaam's ready to do, to issue this curse. But as promised, the Lord intervenes and puts a word on Balaam's mouth. So we're going to jump to Numbers chapter 23, verses 7 through 12. Then Balaam uttered his oracle, saying, Balak has brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Curse! Come curse Jacob for me. Come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags, I see him. From the hills, I behold him. Here is a people living alone and not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Or the number, the dust cloud of Israel. Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Then Balak says to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but now you have done nothing but bless them. He answered, must I not care to say what the Lord puts into my mouth? Um, Oops. Instead of issuing a curse, the Lord gives Balaam a blessing for the people of Israel. Not exactly what Balak paid for. And not exactly what Balaam was probably expecting or hoping for either. Now, Scripture tells us that three more times. Three more times, Balak tries to get Balaam to issue a curse on the Jewish people. And three more times, the Lord intervenes and puts a blessing on Balaam's lips. Uh, I would encourage you to read some of these blessings. They are among the most poetic blessings found in the Old Testament. Here's a particularly beautiful line from one of the blessings found in Numbers chapter 23. God is not a human being that he should lie or a mortal that he should change his mind. Has he promised and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Now, pay attention here. Despite Balaam's apparent submission to the Lord, Balaam is generally considered an immoral man. He is condemned, Balaam is, throughout the Old and New Testaments. Primarily because of what he taught King Balak later. About how to ultimately get the Israelites to sin and to turn against Yahweh. Documented just a little bit later in our story in Numbers chapter 25, but also uh, mentioned in places like 2 Peter and Jude and Revelation in the New Testament, Balaam, unable to curse Israel, apparently told Balak to instruct Moabite women to prostitute themselves among the Israelite men. And in doing so, to introduce pagan rituals and idol worship uh, among God's people. But we know the end of the story. Eventually, ultimately, as the story concludes, the Midianites and the Moabites are eventually defeated. King Balak and Balaam are killed by the sword in battle. And the Israelites, of course, go on to possess the promised land. So I want to leave you with three quick lessons this morning from this story. The first one is this. The road to destruction can often seem like it's one worth taking. The road to destruction can often seem like it's one worth taking. Have you ever hoped and prayed for something so badly, but it didn't happen? Have you ever been so convinced that something was perfect for you, but God didn't answer your prayers quite like you had hoped? In my own life, I'm convinced that God has saved me from many follies that could have ended in my own harm, heartache. God often doesn't do what we ask precisely because God knows that the things we want aren't always going to lead to our own flourishing, no matter how good they might seem to us at the time. But that doesn't mean, friends, that our stubbornness And our willfulness might not lead us down paths of destruction. Paths of our own making. Sometimes we like to take things into our own control. I know I do. And too often things don't work out very well when we do. Maybe God places angels in our path, but we just don't see them. Balaam was intent upon collecting a paycheck from Balak. Balaam pressed God to allow him to make the journey to the front lines of battle. God knew Balaam's corrupt heart. And God, therefore, allowed Balaam to take that journey. That journey down a road that would ultimately lead to Balaam's destruction. I'm not often wise, but occasionally when I am, and I'm asking God for something, I try to remember to first ask that God's will be done in a particular circumstance. And that God have mercy to reveal to me God's greater purposes for my life. Second, if evil can't curse us, its only recourse is to try to seduce us. If evil can't curse us, it can only seduce us. As Christians, we can take comfort in this truth. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. As Christians, we believe that upon Jesus' death and resurrection, God defeated evil once and for all. There is no more curse. Balaam's job was to curse God's people. God would never allow that. But that doesn't mean that the Israelites or we aren't susceptible to the deceiving lies that the evil one can seduce us with. Although God prevented Balaam from issuing a curse, Balaam did conspire to lead God's people down the wrong path of sin. Even though through Jesus, we are freed from the curse of death, which is separation from God, we must remain vigilant by God's spirit to not be easily seduced into the ways of the world. The evil one may not be able to curse us, but evil seduction is all around Ben, come on up. Finally, third, our sovereign God is working behind the scenes to ensure God's purposes are fulfilled. Our sovereign God is working behind the scenes to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled. This whole episode, I'm convinced, between Balak and Balaam, probably took place outside of Moses' knowledge Moses eventually had to deal with the sin of the Israelites. But this whole thing between Balaam and Balak. Probably was happening over here. It was a side story. Outside of Moses's awareness. As people of faith. We can be confident that God can work on many fronts. God can work on many fronts simultaneously. To bring about God's purposes. Get this. Even now. Right now, God is working in the lives and circumstances of people and events all around the globe to bring about his purposes in your life. Imagine the work that God is doing to to fulfill his purposes, God's purposes in your life right now. We can be confident in God's promises and we can relinquish control. God doesn't get overwhelmed. God doesn't get overwhelmed with complexity and details. And in God's sovereignty, all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to God's purposes. So friends, this morning, be careful what you ask for. Don't be seduced into thinking the things of the world are better than the things of God. And rest assured that God's plans and purposes for your life are being orchestrated, even now, behind the scenes. Your job, my job, our job is to remain faithful and to put our trust in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Beautiful. Thank you for being here this morning. I hope it blessed you. Our lives are in the hands of the maker of heaven. And that God loves you and is worthy of our submission. A lot has to happen in the next three weeks. (laughs) Know that you're in my prayers. Uh, We'll finish strong as a community, I know. Put your trust in God. Now go with this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours now and forevermore. And all of God's people said... Amen. Go in peace.